Hello, I'm Colin Gilchrist, CEO and founder of Union Kitchen. And this is Food Founders, stories from launch to scale. In this episode, we speak with Sammy Cabrosley, founder, and Kevin Blazy, CEO of Snackmans. Sammy, a former radio personality and chef, became obsessed with the idea of a vegan pork rind. What started as a bar bet in 2016 has turned into a national snack food craze. In October of 2019, Sammy bolted through the doors of Shark Tank and secured a deal with Mark Cuban. Since then, Snacklands has grown all over the country, but remains a focused team committed to making delicious, healthy snacks that people love. Well, why don't we just start with uh, with an introduction uh, beyond what you did, which is great. But will you introduce uh, yourself and yourself, Kevin, and, um, and a little bit about Snacklands? Uh, yeah, so I'm Sammy Cabrosley. I am the first employee of Snacklands, a.k.a. the founder, I guess. And... Yeah, I guess, you know, as I will probably talk about this later, but this is probably the best bar bet that has ever happened to us because someone bet me to make a vegan pork rind. And here I am today talking with you guys all about Snacklands. Um, I'm Kevin Blazy, CEO of Snacklands. Came on board with Sammy and team going on a year and a half, two years ago. Was in a lot of boring corporate jobs around business for most of my career and got more into the restaurant and food scene. and. Saw a good product and a really exciting opportunity with with Sammy and came on board to to grow the ship. Here we are. Awesome. So, um, Sammy, you founded the business when? Uh, 2015, 2016. Gotcha. It was a bar bet, so the, the rough date's a little bit fuzzy. But <laughs> um, and then so Kevin, you joined a year and a half ago. Yep. Gotcha. And so, what do you guys? What What are your roles now uh, that, that you guys are doing? I feel like I'm good at just making snacks, so I stick with the product development. Uh, I gave myself a made-up officer role as chief snack bagger, but really, I just I focus on product development and really, you know, making sure that we can manufacture and CSB manufacturing. Yeah, CSBO or CSB? CSBO. <laughs> good. All right, Kevin. It depends on the day, uh, which is kind of the nature of a business of this size, but a little bit of everything, which is the fun part. You know, we have a team outside of Sammy and myself that handles a lot of operations and marketing. I handle a lot of you know, the finance and accounting, which is the boring stuff, but the stuff you need to keep the business moving forward. And a little bit of sales, a little bit of manufacturing, and just more than anything, setting targets and objectives and keeping everyone growing in the same direction. Yeah, I think that's us fascinating. <laughs> that's what I did. So. <laughs> uh, that, and I talk to you guys and uh, try to be cool with Sammy. So, Sammy, I know you're dying to, to tell us. Let me tell you. How'd you start the business? Uh, tell us about the bar bet. Let me tell you. So, I'm a Muslim, right? We don't eat pork because, you know, Muslims, it's like, haram, you go to hell for that shit, right? And so, as a joke, uh, a buddy of mine bet me to make a vegan pork rind. And I was like, well, at that point, I had kind of a reputation in the D.C. food scene for just making weird stuff as I staged at a bunch of different restaurants. And I said, no, might as well. I could probably figure this out. And so... I tinkered, I worked on everything, uh, I actually ate a pork rind, so <laughs> looks like I'm going to hell, but I ate a pork rind. Is that the first it, time? First time I ever had a pork rind, yeah, I had, had it beforehand. Me being a Muslim, pigskins just didn't sound delicious to me, but that's an, uh, that's its own separate thing. So long story short, Barbet worked out well, we one day created it, it was this kind of aha moment, oh my gosh, they puffed up, and they were delicious, and you know, we just started kind of 
snowball selling them, right? Like it was more or less one of those, hey, a friend of ours like, this is really good. You should come to our brewery this weekend. And we said, yeah. So we showed up to the brewery to get free beer and started giving out snacklings. Next thing you know, someone from a store was like, hey, you guys put this in a bag, nutritional labels, we could probably sell it. And we said, oh man, awesome. Okay, cool. And it's just kind of snowballed since then. But I think uh, part of that snowballing, we've realized that it wasn't the barbet of the vegan pork rind, which is why people liked it so much. It's because it's a crunchy, delicious, salty snack that's low in calories. It's made of like real stuff. A six-year-old, a six-year-old can pronounce the ingredients. And I think that's just kind of, you know, where it started to kind of where we are now. It's where it is. You were in radio before. I did you radio. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. But did you want to do like a food business? Was that your plan? Or did you just get backed into it? I don't know. After like 10 years in radio, after Snoop Dogg gives you marijuana and Justin Bieber takes a selfie with you when he's like 14 <laughs> years old, you've kind of hit your peak, right? Like I didn't really have anything else to do in the radio. So uh, I think I was just looking for something else. And honestly, like food really intrigued me. I think that if you had asked me six years ago, I probably wanted to be in a restaurant cooking, right? Yeah. But I think that, you know, this just kind of stumbled on and I realized that it kind of works up. People know this, but my mom worked in food manufacturing, right? For like 30 years. And so it just is kind of full circle to me going back and be like, crap, I'm in a food manufacturing facility all over again. <laughs> so, yeah. Our parents are probably disappointed, but... Very disappointed. <laughs> Kevin, did you did you want to be in food or did this just kind of you meandered here as well? Because you were doing yeah, other I, stuff. I was, like I said, I was kind of in the consulting investing world early on, which is great kind of business training. But, you know, at a certain point, I like to be working with companies that make things and employ people as opposed to, you know, your your output being service and slides and Excel, which still do a fair amount of. But <laughs> yeah, after doing those things, I actually landed uh, at Ann Pizza. So I spent three years there kind of building that, you know, the empire that's now 40 or 50 stores. And that did not dissuade you. No, I mean, Good. it's definitely, it, there's pros and cons, right? Um, I think the biggest things are, again, just working in a job that you can see the output and yeah. you can really grow it from a people perspective, which is exciting. And also just having more diversity of backgrounds and experiences on a team, you know, in restaurants or a chain restaurant, you're talking about operations, marketing and finance and accounting and, you know, all those people with very different backgrounds working together, which, you know, can be good, can be frustrating, but overall I think is a lot more interesting day to day. Yeah. Yeah. And then just kind of connected through shared connections with our investors a year and a half ago. Wasn't looking to get out of restaurants necessarily. We we're doing cool things, but it's a new fun opportunity. Sort of similar, sort of different. So I always say this. I was drawn to food because it was real and you're producing things. And I was less interested in the kind of other industries than the ones you're talking about because it was not as tangible. Mm -hmm. And that's what I loved about it, the manufacturing, the hiring of people, the engagement with those people. And then people eat it, you know, and they feel a certain way. And that I think is a, a powerful all the way around that you know, makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. And it makes you guys feel good too. <laughs> so in getting started with the business, the first thing you had to do was make the product, of course, mm -hmm. right? So you made it, but then, then it's, you gotta get someone to buy it. So you sold it. The question I like to ask is like, what was the first sale? Like when someone actually paid you money for it? Oh, it was at the brewery. That's why we knew that it was like, it was literally like that following weekend that... What what brewery? Three Stars Brewery nice. in, uh, in DC. Uh, they had invited us out for like some Christmas market they had. And oh, we yeah. were just buddies with them. They're like, hey, come on by, get some free beer, give out your pork rinds. <laughs> and uh, we showed up and I think that's when we realized that because I think... I guess here, you're talking about that first sale. That was exclusively because it was an oddity item. 
We were a local brand at some brewery selling vegan pork rinds. Like everyone that was drunk wanted to try them, right? <laughs> so like that was obvious. I think that moving forward, that vegan pork rind stick really it was it was a good hook. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it hooked people because they're like, oh wow, we've heard of everything else. I don't know how many other cookie brands we can see, but like holy crap, like I've never seen this. That hooked them in. And then I think what really kind of that's what got like I say like the yes organics of the world to pick us up yeah. right the vegan pork rind were they your first store no, no technically it was uh, it was like kind of a mix we were like at a couple juice bars and some locals at the same time but yes was when we like yes was when I finally was like oh crap it's like we need help like we actually need to do this I can't just do this one time every week you know on my night off like I actually need to do this but with them we realized just because they even came to us like this is selling a lot better than we thought a vegan pork rind would and it was because the audience was seeing the vegan pork rind but they were turning the bag over and they were buying it because it was low in calories and it was simple ingredients and then that's kind of how we realized like oh wow that's what's reeling them in the vegan pork might be the hook but really the reason they're buying and they're coming back is because it's low in calories and it's like simple fresh ingredients so that's kind of how that first sale into the second sale kind of evolved to the third yeah no, very cool. Now we're at sale number four. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. sold four bags of chips. <laughs> how many? Uh, how many uh, stores do you sell into right now? Great question. I, uh, You're not a math guy. I'm not you know. the math guy. <laughs> Plus or minus, we'll call it a thousand. Right okay, now. Yeah. that's pretty good. It's four digits. Yeah, not bad. Not bad compared to the brewery. <laughs> <laughs> thousand times more. Yeah. <laughs> thousand times more. That's fantastic growth. Yeah. So uh, we are at the the snackery right now. Yep. Um, this is where you guys are manufacturing, running the office, uh, growing the business. Why did you guys uh, decide to to open a factory and to manufacture uh, this product? Honestly, it came the fact that I did what everyone else does. You get to a certain point that you're like, I can't make this myself anymore. I need to find a co-manufacturer help. Upon looking with everyone and talking to a handful of them, I realized that the fresh ingredients was what was going to hold us back. That no yeah. one was making chips using fresh ingredients. Like outside of a potato chip, nothing else is really thrown in there raw or used in its raw state to make a thing. They're using a powder. In like the Big co manufacturer. Yeah, the big, like any puff, any healthy snack you can think of. If it says it's made with peas, it's pea powder. Don't let them lie to you. Right? Like, I never. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it's like we were using fresh ingredients. And so that kind of hit me. It was really like, wow, we will never find someone to make this for me. So it's either do or die. And I either had to figure out a way to make more pellets, which, I mean, Colin can back me up on this one. I literally just started YouTubing, Googling, anything I could. I was talking to like, 20 or 30 companies in China and India yeah, at any China. given time <laughs> just to figure out what I needed. I ended up going to China, not really having an idea. Like I knew I needed these kind of machines, but I didn't even know if they would work. And I literally brought a suitcase filled with like seasoning. You know what I mean? And I showed up in China and was like, started testing out all these different machines. We finally found like a process in which semi worked and then we had to modify it. And so, yeah, it was, uh, it was, we didn't manufacture because it, it made us feel good. We manufactured out of necessity, <laughs> I guess, you you know, but now in hindsight, I mean, you look over the past year, right? And when other people that would work with the co-packers, when they were the small guy, they all got cut out, you know, and they were yeah. going months of out of stock just because they don't, they didn't make anything themselves. Like we make everything up until it's fried, seasoned and bagged, right? Doing that all Season here. is easy. We do everything else here. And so when we talk to these guys, they're like, well, there is no holdup. We can just be like, find us some time on your line. We got the seasoning for you. We've already made all the pellets, you know, here you go. Yeah. 
uh, Kevin, consulting background, been a year and a half. <laughs> I'm sure you've looked at, you know, the, the pros and cons of manufacturing. You know, with the stuff Sammy said, does that does that resonate with what you're learning and what you had learned before? Yeah, I sort of went through the same process after the fact because <laughs> I started thinking the same thing of, okay, there has to be someone who can do this at scale better than us, cheaper than us. And I've had not as many conversations as you did years ago, but enough with these guys where they just kind of look the other way when you're saying, oh, wait, there's there's fresh mushrooms, there's fresh vegetables yeah. in this thing. It's not something we really do. So that was just one aspect of it. The other is just the control aspect and, you know, down the line, if you want to keep growing this business and have it look attractive to outside investment or acquire someday, there's something strategically valuable about the fact that we're the only ones doing it this way. Yeah. And sure, someone can reverse engineer pretty much any product and they'll try, but it'll take a while. Right? It's not as easy as, oh, just go find the command that Snacklins is using. We'll just go do that, put a different label on it. Um, so I think there's there's huge value to that as well. It certainly comes with its headaches. I mean, it's more capital intensive. You're running a manufacturing plant day to day. It's not on autopilot. Um, we don't just run a brand, um, but we think there's there's strategic value to that one. Your team. You got two engineers in the other room who work for major, I mean, major, major snack brands that are looking at a line being like, I've never seen anything like this. How does this, like, we've been working since 7 a.m. So if I swear a lot, that's why. <laughs> and that's your advantage. Yeah, that's the advantage. <laughs> uh, but no, and honestly, I think part of it too is if you go out there and you buy 12 different varieties of the same snack, right? They're all, let's say, they're all going to taste the same. They're all going to taste bland. And then you try snack because you go, wait, this tastes different. That's because we own it from the beginning to the end, you know? Yeah. And if you wonder why your tastes like everyone else's, it's because... You're using the same manufacturer as everyone else. Like, I wonder that all the time. Up. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was. Uh, this is a theme I, I kind of keep hearing. Um, is I was talking to Luis from Caribe Juice uh, yesterday, and he built a factory down in the Dominican Republic. And uh, the conversation was about like yeah, that was really hard. And I was talking about yeah, like we built Union Kitchen, which you know has stores and distribution, and then the kitchen and all this other crap. And you know it was really hard. And I. The, the, the conversation comes around to, and that's why we feel really good about this business. Because it was really hard. We, we built something, you know, that gives us an advantage. It's a defensible advantage. Uh, it, it's challenging for kind of a, a corporation just to come running in and, and take that. And take that. And I think that's huge. And I think you guys have that, which is pretty cool. Um, so, anyways, you have a team, which I think teams are advantages. I, I think Union Kitchen has a great team. I think Snacklins has a great team. We get to work on stuff together, which is fun. Uh, what What is the team? How do you guys structure it? So, you know, you've got you guys, you know, somewhere up here or, or here or there. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm below the camera. I was going to say here, but then I was like, Jesus. Pedro and Sylvia are up yeah, here. Yeah, Pedro and Sylvia are up here. I'm like way down here. Hey, we hang out here. Yeah, so, so what? how many people on the team? Yeah, so we have about 20, five or six, yeah, in um, corporate administrative computer roles like <laughs> myself, um, and more like 12 or 15 on the production staff, which actually make the product the important part. Gotcha. Um, I mean, Sammy can talk to the relationships there and how we've grown the production staff over time, but on the on the admin or the corporate side, you know, we keep it pretty tight. And that's the, ex again, 
not to sound too businessy, but that's the exciting thing about scaling a business like this. We've had the same people on board. I'm the newest guy. Like we've <laughs> had the same people for two plus years. And sure, we're going to add resources over time as we grow, but I still think we could double, triple the business this year, which do we after doing it last year and still have the same team. Like there's a lot of leverage off of, you know, a base of people. Uh, you don't need double the people to, to double the revenue, mm-hmm. but that's kind of within you know, the corporate side and then on the production side, it's, you know, it's grown over time and it's definitely evolved, but we have those the strong leaders on top. Yeah. Well, also, you got to take there. care of your people, man. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? You got to take care of people. Like you walk through there right now and if you saw someone here at Union Kitchen and we had like four or five employees, like four of those people still work with us today. Yeah. You know awesome. what I mean? And so I think part of just like taking care of the people around you and really, you know, understanding like they... I mean, if I have someone has to be here at 6 a.m., I'll be here at 6 a.m. too, you know, and just being that go-getter is kind of, I don't know. I think a neat thing about uh, what you guys have done is, you know, obviously you're an investor in this business, right? You're an investor in this business and that you, you own part of the business. And uh, the people you're talking about that are producing the product, some of them are as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, I mean... I look at it this way, and I, I think I just gave this quote to somebody else, so I'm going to rip it off again. Um, good, good. We'll use it. Use it again. Uh, <laughs> come up for them. That's how you get up. <laughs> As they grew with us, we knew we had to grow with them. You know what I mean? I look at it like a team, right? Like, when the Lakers won the chip, I don't for sports, so this is, I, this is good. All right. I don't know anything about sports, but all right. When the Lakers, won the, this later. When the yeah. Lakers <laughs> won the championship, okay, they didn't give just LeBron the ring everyone got a ring even the person that plays the mascot that's a full-time employee got a ring like the secretary who answers like she got a ring right like because it takes a whole team and organization to get to that championship and i look at it that way you know what i mean like it's taking a lot more like yes i may have been the first idiot to agree to do this for a living but like there was a bunch of other people that sacrificed and joined up too and i think that we're all equal in this you know and we're all you know and it's that's it, you know? Future episodes of this. I want to do one on just you in China. Whole one hour conversation. Oh, dude, I, can, I got hit by a car <laughs> twice in one night in China after a bender on my last night. It was good. I'll tell you a lot of good stories. Say, who's fault was that? that was mine. Okay. Yeah. But well, I met another. a bunch of new people because they picked me up and they helped me walk to the next bar. And then I hung out with them for the rest of the night. It's an allegory. Yeah, and then I got, and then I, you know, whatever. Yeah, another another day, and another would be uh, the other people on the team. We have some good characters here. Some great characters. <laughs> I'm looking. This remind me. I'll make sure. I still have the sweater too with a tire mark on it. So <laughs> it's, it reminds me. You should frame that. You get the um, like the um, the museum glass. Mm-hmm. What was this? Well, let me tell you guys. Yeah. You put it right there. When yeah. someone tells you to get on a conference call at 4 p.m. U.S. time and you're in China, <laughs> I would not recommend trying to stay up and party until it happens. <laughs> All right. So thinking of things we recommend, you guys have a team. You have a great team. You, you've kind of gone through some of the things that you guys like doing. Quick, one thing you recommend for building a team and then one thing you don't recommend. So something that maybe you got wrong and you learned from. Mm. Hopefully you learn from. Don't hire your friends or your family like don't hire your friends like straight up like i fired my brother three times yeah that makes sense like here (laughs) we're an anomaly here right as in the production staff seems to be pretty well connected and they somehow work but in my personal opinion anytime i've had any friend of mine it's like yo man i want to come work for stack because we've gotten to a point which i go get the hell out of here and so just like don't do that like that's my one thing is just don't hire friends like because at that point you have a bias and really should be going in not saying 
okay, I feel like we work well together. It should be, what do they offer that I don't offer? Like, as weird as it sounds, Pedro and Sylvia have done so successful because they offered a bunch of skills that I did not offer whatsoever. And Pedro and Sylvia are on the production Production side, yeah, yeah. And they're the first employees or just Sylvia about? was number two. I think Pedro was number four. Not yeah. bad. So. Not bad. Yeah, not bad. But that's it. So I would just say, like, you know, like, you want to fill in the gap of something you can't do. And so I kind of explain to people this, like, your job as an entrepreneur is great. You have a great snack. Now your job is to learn all about the packaging and the boxes and you learn all that until you're selling enough snacks that everything that you learn, you hire someone else to do that. And then you go start learning something new. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And similar to that, don't bring anyone on the team who wouldn't do any job that is necessary, especially at this scale. I mean, there can't be any ego or living above uh, above any tasks. It just doesn't work, and that doesn't fly here. Um, and everyone we have who's on marketing or production or sales or ops, they'll go do anything else. You know, it's go drive three hours to go somewhere in Pennsylvania, go talk get to Yuka. someone, <laughs> or everyone get here to offload these pallets and, re- and repack them because they have to go out tomorrow. Everyone will drop a hat and do it. Um, and that's a pretty, I think, a pretty easy thing to suss out in interviewing new people, meeting new people to see if they'd actually fit with your team. I think you can, based on their past experiences and how they talk about what they want to do, I think you can get a read on that pretty quickly. Do you make them unload a truck when you interview them? I mean, I still remember, I mean, Jeremy does a lot of our marketing e-commerce and he runs that pallet jack a lot better than I did when we were had a, an angry truck driver here like a yeah. year and a half ago, like my second week. And I was like, I, I'm not as good at this. He's like, I'm get out of the way and just like started going. So <laughs> everyone can do it. <laughs> so uh, we, we talked about your first first sale before, but something I'm really interested in is what it was like, you know, the first year or so selling. What were the things that you were doing to get your product into from one store to 30, 50? I think that here, when you have zero customers, like go to one customer is huge, right? When you go from one customer to like 30, dude, that's, that's huge, right? And so as simple as that was, was it was me like, I knew these stores were selling our product. So I would go into the store and I would have some samples. I'd find the people that worked like, yo, do you guys try this? They go, nah. I go, oh, I brought some bags for you guys. This is so good. You're going to love it. They try it. They tell one person like, wow, that doubled our sales in that store because they told one person. You know what I mean? Like, wow, that was crazy. And that kind of just got me in the habit of, especially like more, I guess. Like I'd still do it now, but with COVID, you're not in as many social situations. But we're at expos, we're at a food show. Like I'm notoriously known for I walk around with a backpack and that backpack is stuffed with snacklings. Like, so if I meet anyone and they start talking, they go, oh, there you go, man, here's a bag of chips. You know what I mean? Just having that available because even though it may not have turned into like an immediate, wow, that worked out, like those people knew about us, you know, like Giant had to get our product at some point. It may have taken them, you know, it may have taken two years for us to finally get big enough to get in there, but like they knew about it, you know? And I think just being that gun hell, like they always like salespeople are a weird breed. And I don't think I'm that person, but at least I took the one positive thing was like they're willing to talk and sell their product to anybody. And if you're not willing to do that, then you don't know who you're going to miss. Well, you're not going to sell. Then you're just not going to sell. If you don't sell, we don't get to have this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so, you guys are now kind of sharing some of the sales responsibilities and, and, and there's other folks involved in that across the company. Uh, you're in a thousand stores. Your goal is, you know, I wrote down 10,000 <laughs> um, eventually. <laughs> 2021, yeah. Q2. Exactly. It'll happen. <laughs> it's coming. How do you think about sales now, kind of yeah. from your perspective, Kevin? Yeah, I think it's funny because I think 
you, you hear this a lot around door count and some people get really excited and enamored at door count, but the other truism that you hear from folks who have done it well over time is actually growing velocities in those doors, right? You'd rather have a hundred stores selling 10 units a week than a thousand stores selling one because- And define a velocity. Right, so just for us, it's how many bags per flavor per store per week we're selling. And that's pretty much the be all end all metric yeah. for a buyer at a retail store. And that's all they're gonna do is look at how you're doing and the places you're currently at. Because for them, it's all about real estate. They have four feet. They want as many dollars running through that four feet a week as possible. They're going to get the margin they get regardless. It's really how quickly are you selling that product? And so focusing on if you have 100 stores really running through product because you have the right promotional calendar set up, you have the right merchandising in the store, you're focusing on just getting people to try it and repeat and come back and come back. Um, so sometimes folks get really excited about kind of spray and pray, give me many doors you want. But if you look back a year later, you're in 5,000 doors and your velocities are crap, your business is probably just going away in the next year or two. Um, so we're really focused on kind of regional infill, mid-Atlantic, northeast, east coast, getting into kind of the, the natural chains and the more progressive conventional chains that we know we should be in and really moving velocities. Because it really is that stepping stone of, you're at Yes, and you have five or 10 stores, and you really well. And you're going to Mom's, and you're going to Whole Foods Mid-Atlantic, and you're going to Wegmans, and you're going to Giant. Because again, you need to show the success to go to the next rung of the ladder. You can't just go up four levels, and you'll take those calls if they, they opportunistically come along, but that's really how we focus on it. And then resourcing against that is, it's an evolving thing. I mean, no one has a, a silver bullet answer for it. You know, we've tried internal resources. We also lean on brokers in some scenarios. So I think it's a hodgepodge and you kind of see what works and we're going to keep evolving to see, you know, what partners and resources will help us achieve kind of that plan. Yeah. So far I'm taking, have a great product. Yep. That's very <laughs> um, important. And uh, velocity is kind of the number one metric that, that we're looking at, yep. followed by stores. Yep. You know, yep. It's, 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 this, is a, this is a math problem, Yep. Uh, but starts with velocity. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> People need to want it. Again and again and again, and that's what velocity is. It's not one-time buyers. It's I don't know, fifty-time buyers. I mean, we all have that jar of pickled corn or whatever that we bought at some farmer's market that sits in the back of our fridge. Like chow, we chow. bought it that one t- <laughs> chow chow. Great example. You bought it that one time. You never touched it, and then you're not gonna go back and buy it again. And I bet if you went back to that same store, you go, "Hey, you guys got that chow chow?" They go. No, no one else bought it either. You bought it one time, you never came back. It was two years ago. Yeah, I think like, (laughs) you got like, it's no different than your fridge. That's how these people run their stores, Mm -hmm. you know? No, it's, when you're trying to get somewhere new, again, it's a real estate game. The shelf's already full. So why are you better than this other bag, better for you chips? Like, it's not only, oh, we're gonna turn faster, but we're gonna grow with you. We're gonna have more flavors. Those guys aren't as good. It's not that antagonistic, but you kind of have to make the case of why, you know, why do I have to kick out this to put you in there? Absolutely. Dollars. Mm-hmm. They're a business. They need to make money. So dollars leads me into the next thing, which which I think is, is similar to sales, but the idea of uh, you have to capitalize the business, you know, to do all these things, to grow these things, to, to, to go to China, to buy equipment. There needs to be some cash, right? And, and there's different amounts at different times. So, Kevin, you've been here for a year and a half, and there's been, you know, money, uh, capital that you've been working on. Mm-hmm. And then, Sammy, I mean, you were <laughs> four years ago or so trying to figure out what you're going to do to keep the business growing, to invest in machinery, to invest in people, to pay your rent. Um, how are you thinking about raising money 
three, four years ago? Honestly, at that point, we were just we were in survival mode. Like, you know, I, I think, like, which is the one piece of advice that I like. Tell people. I think a lot of people, well, we're not ready yet. But like, but you should start prepping yourself to get ready because I wasn't ready yet. And then when I finally was ready, I was already so far behind. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I think that, you know, one of the best things, I always tell people this, like when people ask me about Union Kitchen, I always tell them that, yeah, well, they made me have board meetings. They made me put down minutes. They made me set up an actual structure. Like they made me keep track of the basic stuff I wasn't doing. And even though that's like now, comparatively speaking, Kevin would laugh at that. And he's like, oh my God, that's horrible. But like then it was at least enough to get us. So we looked like enough of a legit business that when we did need the capital, it wasn't us trying to put together pitch decks, trying to, oh crap, I haven't kept track of this for so many months. I've done this for so many months. Like you have to act like, you know, you have to act like you belong there right yeah absolutely and so you were able to get some money in and kind of build the business mm-hmm. um and uh, open up this factory with with some of that capital which is pretty sweet and i think a fair amount of you know blood sweat tears blood <laughs> mostly mostly blood <laughs> mostly blood we're sitting in it kevin you as a ceo of the company are of course um you know integral and i think largely in charge of looking at raising capital <laughs> fair <laughs> Uh, in terms of raising capital for the future of the business. One, is that even mildly true? And two, how are you, how are you thinking about that? Uh, it's true in terms of, you know, making numbers tick and tie, but yeah, it's the product is the thing that, that moves us forward. How we're thinking about it, I mean, I think there's a lot of flavors to this in CPG. Um, you'll see all the headlines of company raises $10 million, $20 million, and is at a very small scale. And there are some folks who just, that's a high wire act that some people do, and some do it really successfully, right? They raise $25 million at some sky-high valuation, and they're doing $4 million in sales, but then they go and they basically buy $50, $100 million in sales, and they cash out in three years. That doesn't usually happen, doesn't happen often, but it's a route that a lot of people take. I'd say we're a little bit more measured in terms of this capital is going to get us hopefully to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what we've spent the last two years doing is getting the fundamentals right, which is right-sizing the unit economics of this product. Turns out you have to sell the product for more than it costs to make it. And <laughs> it sounds easy, but it's really you know a pretty challenging thing to do when you're trying to price a product competitively in a marketplace that's filled with billion-dollar companies. So I like to think we've, we're kind of at that point now, but it takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears and capital and trying things and making mistakes to get there. So you know, we were really focused on the fundamentals first and still are. And we're going to see you know, what capital we really need to hit you know, some milestone or series of milestones, be it sales, profitability, team, and you know, make, really make the plans appropriately against that so that we're not you know, massively diluting ourselves. We're kind of growing into the valuations that we set out there and get to a point where you, know, you don't need as much external funding and you're getting things like lines of credit and bank debt and non-dilutive capital because you've been you know, smart uh, and thoughtful about growing the business kind of one step at a time. We don't want it to take 25 years to get to where we want to be, but you know, there's, a, there's a middle ground there too, which I think we're, we're doing decently well. I think you're doing well. <laughs> I think you're doing great. <laughs> All right, cool. So I, I have one question I'd like to, to end with, and it's not one, it's two questions, but I'm going to say it in one breath. What is the biggest win that you've had, and what's the biggest loss that you've had. You guys can answer this together in unison or separately. One, two. 
I would say our like, my biggest win personally is because I guess here my biggest win if you would have asked me that like six months ago would have been way different than it is now my biggest win is all and it's like usually what my most recent win is because yeah. I feel like that's the biggest one uh, and to me that's giant like I have like giant that's who I shopped with you know when I first moved to DC I live next to a giant that's who I still shop with and to me that was always just kind of like the bar like you have made it like you are a giant like that is DC now now you have made it into the DC you know DMV kind of culture uh, and so getting that email from Giant was awesome. We're going to have to make that a quote and send it directly to Giant. Oh, uh, no, I... The day Chris, that we found out... I, the day that we found... Yeah, please, Chris. Uh, the day that we found out, I actually went to Giant and I bought a ton of sushi and I had like a whole Giant party at my place. So they know I love them. That's fantastic. Yeah. I would say my on the plus side... Maybe not as specific, but it's the same idea of I still get really excited walking into any store that we are and seeing the product on shelves. Like, it sounds really simple. Like, I'm going to go to the Whole Foods down the street here after this and do a little grocery shopping and check in on our new set with the multi-serve bags. And it gets you really excited. It goes back to what we were talking about, a tangible business. We're making a product that people like and brings them joy and happiness. And if you sometimes I'll even, like, hide out in the aisle for a while and Just see and out. see if someone you know comes and picks up and that's that's exciting. I mean that's why we do this. Uh, Seeing a customer in the wild. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really it's fun. Crazy. <laughs> like I knew that we were doing well when I started seeing Snacklin's litter. You know, when I was walking down the street and I saw like a litter bag of Snacklin's on the floor, I was like, We did it. We've made it, guys. And then I picked it up and I threw it in the trash can. But You're a responsible person. Before that time, I knew we had made it. Like, yeah, it was good. Uh, if we're talking about losses, I guess, here, I'll be honest, this was probably a big loss for us. It was a big loss for me, personally, when it first happened. But I think in hindsight, it was probably the best that's ever happened to us. But losing Walmart. You know, like, we got a chance to go with Walmart. We got invited to their open pitch, open call. I had no effing idea what I was like. I don't even, th- we weren't even in Whole Foods in the Mid-Atlantic yet. And Walmart was like, sure, come on by to Bentonville. <laughs> and I did it. And I somehow convinced them. I think it was a joke. I think they just saw me. They are like... F this guy. Let's get him. Let's take him for a ride right now. And they threw us like in 500 Walmarts. And like, dude, we ate. Like, what year was that? 2018. I don't even remember 19, anymore. 19. Yeah, like two years. It was rough, right? But it was a cool little <laughs> thing. We tested it out. We got it. And honestly, like having that Walmart name got us to where we needed to get. You know, as far as fundraising, as far as you know, get on Shark Tank and stuff like that. But I always remember one of the first conversations we had with Mark. And he started going through the Walmart and he goes, then why are we even in the store? Why don't we just drop Walmart? And I was like, okay, cool. As long as we're on the same page, I think we can all do that. And it's like one of those things like, I don't, it's, we just weren't ready. You know, and I think a lot of people look at a big name like that. They go, yeah, I made it, but no. Now you're competing against like, in the chip aisle specifically, you're competing against a Frito-Lay driver showing up every day, multiple times a day, and restocking those shelves, and then you, that single item, have to just pray that it ended up on a Walmart <laughs> truck, that the staff saw it was back, that they even put it on the shelf, you know what I mean? Like, dude, it was like, it was like me winning a middle school soccer game then all of a sudden playing in the World Cup the next week. Like, <laughs> yeah. I got destroyed. You weren't ready. I wasn't ready yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think now in hindsight, like, we go through and like, we now know that we're ready for a lot of these opportunities. And I, you know, so yeah, it was a big loss, but I still keep my Walmart hat over there as a reminder. I saw it. You're looking hat. Thank you. So lesson learned is I be ready shit. for what you're doing. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Get ready for everything. <laughs> Get ready for everything. Yeah, eating is the is the constant. That's the lesson here. <laughs> All right. 
So lesson is uh, make sure that you're ready for what you're getting into and understanding it. So Walmart is you needed a, a whole program to support being on those fiber mm-hmm. shelves. And like you got to think like the like when I go to Walmart, I'm not going to be like, ooh, I'm excited to discover something. No, I literally need like two things of paper towels. I need a bowl. Of, I need a box of cereal. And I need this. Like I'm not going to discover, but like someone that maybe is at like a Yes Organic or a local or a local store, right? Even like the Union Kitchens, right? Those customers come in because they want to find new stuff. And so when we were first starting off to be in the places that people were willing to discover was like the key. And then now, you know, now we're doing promos and we have, you know, promo schedules and all that. Like that's kind of that next level, you know. But when you're first there, it was just about we were trying to put ourselves in a situation that, no, we need people to discover us first. Absolutely. And they are. Kevin, uh, do you have a, a biggest loss, or are you are you too green? You know, you've only yeah. had a year and a half of, of <laughs> well, sunshine. Like I said, there's a lot of you know businesses of this size growing this quickly. There's lots <laughs> of ups and downs, and it's it's daily, right? Yeah. I think that was something I learned going from a very corporate world to the restaurant world, and now here is mentally you have to get you know smooth that out because it's a it's a roller coaster ride, right? And like we live it every day. You get that email couple weeks ago from giant you're up here something happens and you know machine breaks down you're down here so if you ride that as it actually comes at you you'll never make it it's just sort of saying okay kind of living right here is the best we can do um so i think related it's not one specific thing but you know all of the jobs and people on this team and the functions are so interrelated it's really devastating when you maybe drop the ball or miss an answer or something happens with a machine or a shipment or whatever and it impacts everyone those are i think the gut-wrenching moments we all have where it's like oh man like that's gonna really not just mess up like my day and my to-do list but everyone a really small team that like has a lot riding on this so <laughs> that's me today the staff has pissed me because uh, i had a forklift show up like three hours late so don't do that yeah it's always a, on time with forklifts. Always. I think the lesson there, though, is a good one, which is we all care more about, I think, the others' success and well-being in terms of our team, and it, it really hurts us when like we might have done something that has cascading effects across the organization because we're not a giant company yet, and uh, you, you're not as insulated. Everyone is dependent on everyone else doing the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I certainly believe and hope that you guys will be a uh, very large company, maybe even giant. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I see what you did there. Thank you. Thank you. This interview's going to keep on going. i got to eat something. (laughs) Well, so we have the chief snack bagger, Sammy, and we have the CEO, Kevin, of Snacklands, and they're crunchy. If you want to make a crunch sound, I can make a crunch sound in front of the microphone. Put right up in there. Oh, yeah. Mmm. At least some good chips, guys. I don't know if you ever had them before. First They're time. Great. Barbecue. Delicious. Wow. Delicious. The seasoning is exactly what I'm looking for. Shut up. <laughs> I know what you're saying there. Uh, do you have any uh, parting words, Sammy, for us? Uh, I just want to say thank you guys for coming. Uh, thank you guys for enjoying this deliciously amazing audio slash video combination. Text. We're going to do it all. Yeah, we're going to do text too. This will be out on ebook here as well soon. So look for us on jeffbezos.com. And yeah, I don't know. Colin, you have anything else to say? Kevin, anything else to say? Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Food Founders. If you like today's show, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you next time on Food Founders, stories from launch to scale.